tonight was uh, homemade pizza night, and I was like, oh, I've got time. But then, like, the dough has to sit out for an hour, and right. then you have to, like, cook it. And then, <clears throat> of course, Trinity normally, like, rolls it out, and so I wasn't even, you know, it took me much longer to roll it out. And I was like, this isn't, like, anywhere close to a circle. It's more like an ellipsis. Do you want to count down? Sure, 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 sure. All right, five. We haven't done. Two. I'm sorry. I know. And I stepped on it. <laughs> Damn it. <coughs> I know. I haven't done the countdown in a while. Oh. Hi, how are you? How, how are things in Tallahassee? Pretty good. Pretty good. Is it hot down there, too? <laughs> it's always hot down here. Yeah. <laughs> it's always hot in Tallahassee. Right, exactly. Well, and it's always hot in Columbia. So. It's our uh, 18th straight day of 100 plus degree temperature. Yeah, but we're not quite there, so. <clears throat> but it's terrible. Yeah, we've got the humidity to make up for it. Yeah, we've got that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's not there. <laughs> for for a few days, we had thunderstorms. You know, like every afternoon, which is kind of nice, but then it's kind of a pain when it. You know, you get a thunderstorm at four o'clock every day. Um, That's pretty much what we get every single day. Yeah, yeah, but we haven't had that like in a week, I guess. Um. So it's it's just been hot because when you get the thunderstorm, it, it cools down for like I don't know thirty minutes, and then <laughs> then you're back to hundred degrees, and then it's really humid. And it's worse because <laughs> it is so muggy. Yes. Yeah, because it's like a sauna. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, uh, I do not enjoy the Columbia um, atmosphere weather. I, I want to live where it's cold. Like I would love to live in say Montana, Idaho, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Maybe so Saskatchewan if things don't go well in November. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But so that's – yeah, so I think about that a lot too because, as you know, I love sweaters. And I have like two weeks out of the year that I can wear sweaters down here. And that really is kind of depressing. So I like I, the, the Snapchat that you sent one time when you're like, I wore a sweater today and now it's 80 degrees. <laughs> and you right. like walked across campus. <laughs> ah, yeah, so it's like the, in the morning you're like – it's 62. Like, I can get away with wearing a sweater now. And then halfway through the day, you're like, that was nope. a horrible idea. <laughs> right. And you can't take it off at that point. No, no. Because, yeah, you know, so. Either either your shirt's wrinkled or it's frumpy or you got the sweat stains. Yeah. So it's got to yeah. go with it. So what I, what I discovered when I was a middle school teacher, you know, and I was, I was an active teacher. I wasn't the type of teacher who just stood at a podium or something. And I was a science teacher, so I'm, you know, I was constantly running around. But I realized ties were not good for me, so that's when I started wearing bow ties. And then bow ties became a thing. Um, but I also realized white shirts were fantastic for me because if I wore like a blue shirt, <laughs> it could totally the, see the the sweat shows the sweat. a lot worse. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's that struggle. I mean, it's if you're if you're a sweater as a person, not, not as a I am. Yeah. Yeah. yeah me too. Um, yeah, it's the hard. Struggle is real. It is, it is. And I, I think people like in California don't get that, where there's no humidity and it's you know constantly 72 degrees or whatever. Yeah, oh man, that would be glorious. But, you know, what's also glorious is not having to pay, you know, $600,000 for a thousand square foot house or whatever. So, yeah. Or, or <laughs> there's that. Well, I was in a, where was I? I was in San Diego. So uh, one of my jobs, I, I was in San Diego for two weeks and I was here for two weeks and I would fly back and forth. So I was in San Diego and I was walking around. It was a beautiful Saturday morning, and I looked down and there's blood all over my shirt. And I noticed my nose was bleeding. Um, <laughs> I was like, "What's going on?" And so yeah, I ran back to to the apartment and cleaned up. And and 
you know, basically asked some friends later in the day, like, why does my nose keep bleeding? They're like, oh, because you're from out east and like in the, you know, you guys have humidity and here it's not that humid. And San Diego is pretty humid for California, but evidently they're they're going through a spell. And they're like, yeah, you know, your nose is going to bleed if you're not used to it. It's It's like like, so dry. Yeah. What the hell? Like you got to put a warning label on that. That's true. But no, I mean, well, yeah, but you do kind of get, you get used to it. You get acclimated. And so your skin starts to feel different, you know, when, like when I'm up north for things and, your hair, it's not the same. I mean, yeah. Yours, we both keep ours pretty short now, but. <laughs> so, when, I mean, you were bald for most of your adult lives, so. I was bald for a little while, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On purpose. Yeah, yeah, on purpose, yeah. It, it was uh, not like a Rogaine hair club for men type thing. Yeah. Speaking of bald, what a week. Oh, man, I don't. I don't even, okay, I say this every, I feel like I'm saying this every week now. I don't even know what to say, where to start, et cetera. But I kind of feel like we either go all in on the insanity of this week or we just kind of don't talk about it at all, right? I don't right, really know right. what the what the better option is. I mean, maybe we'll probably end up in the middle, but man, what a week. I, I, I mean, who knew, right, that that the Democratic convention was going to be the more interesting convention by leaps and bounds. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, we, we knew it was going to be the more optimistic, like, forward-looking convention, you know, whatever whatever right. your political persuasion is. You know, it, we, we all thought Cleveland was going to be contentious and there was going to be a lot of doom and gloom, and, and there was. And, I mean, even Trump's, you know, Orwellian speech was was very... Orwellian. <laughs> Orwellian, yeah. It was painted black. Um, you know, and, and, you know, so far we've had great moments in, in the Democratic uh, convention as far as speeches go. But the surrounding stuff has just been crazy. Plus things like like Howard Dean last night, you know, recapitulating right. the Dean screen. Reviving the Dean screen. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> wow. Well, um, and then the way, you know, the way that the whole Dem convention started with the uh, Sanders supporters right. and obviously emails right. and uh, with the leak at the DN or the hack of the DNC. And, and that's why yeah, I, I really don't want to call it a leak. And you and I have been going back and forth on this, like leak versus hack and insiders versus hackers and all this stuff. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> But, I mean, the drama of the first night or the first few hours of the first night where every single time Hillary Clinton's name was mentioned, there were massive boos was – right. I mean, n- no one expected that. I mean, it's not like we didn't expect some Sanders supporters to be upset, but not to that level. And the DNC apparently didn't see it coming. The Clinton campaign didn't see it coming. I don't think Bernie Sanders saw it coming. Well, we'll get to this, but I think you know a lot of that was – Predicated upon the the DNC leak, um, right? With, with emails, but first, I mean, before we get there, I just want to say, like, if you look at Bernie's speech last night, that was great. I thought, um, I mean, uh, Monday. When did Bernie speak? Was it last night or or Monday night? No, it's Monday night. Monday night. Oh, I'm sorry. Worlds bleeding together. Bill Clinton's speech last night, like that was, you know, it, it was Bill Clinton. <laughs> you know, look, it was Bill Clinton. Yeah. Right. What's not to love about a Bill Clinton speech? Whatever your persuasion, I, I, I adore his his speaking style, and he clearly revels in that. And and I think it was a a nice thing to get up there and, and talk about his wife in that way. And their first date was at the Yale Art Gallery, which I, I love because that's where it worked. And right. you know, right. they published a book. Um, and. Uh, 
So I, I, I picture in my head Bill and Hillary looking at my Assyrian, you know, statue of, of <laughs> a young eunuch with his bow and arrow and, and, you know, Bill putting the moves on Hillary or Hillary putting the moves on Bill, whichever persuasion or whichever uh, side of the uh, speech we go from. But um, so we had that. We had we had Bernie. We had Michelle Obama. Just I mean, that was one of the greatest speeches of, of modern political history, I think. Absolutely. I mean, that's up there with. I don't. I don't know. What, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm gonna say. Uh, uh, Brock, 2004. It's up there with. Um, yes, we can. Yes, right. Well, I right. Mean, it, not the same style, but man, yes, absolutely. One of the best political speeches, if not just in general, one of the best speeches that we've heard in in modern history. I think. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely. I don't know. I don't have words to describe it. Well, and it was fascinating for me that she was able to, you know, basically do a complete takedown of Trump without saying his name. And, and, right. and I wish yes. people the rest of the week would have done that. Yes. Yeah. So, because then we had Elizabeth Warren, who I had high hopes for. And, you know, it was a good political speech, but yeah, it, it was so negative after Michelle Obama's <laughs> speech. Yeah. Because it was all about Trump and how we don't want to go down that path, and this is the path, and you need to vote for Hillary because you don't want Trump. And Michelle did the exact same thing, but she did it so much, sort of. Uh, yeah, well, it's so much because better. she's a genius. I mean, right? And yeah. she obviously has great speechwriters. We know that, right? I mean, but it's not just the speechwriters. Right, and but but they thought the details down to her dress. Yes, you know, like her, her dress was made by. You probably know his name. Yeah. I forgot his name. I don't remember it right off, but no, yeah, yeah, I did read the piece on it. Yeah, and, and he. Uh, he designs. He was from Project Runway. Project Runway, Runway, yeah, the winner of season four, I think. Yeah, right. And, and he designs uh, clothing and fashion for for women of all shapes and sizes, and and you know, not that Michelle is a big woman or anything like that, for God's sakes. But you know, she and and uh, he designed it for the the lady who uh, Leslie Jones. Yes, yeah, so Leslie Ghostbusters. Jones. Ghostbusters, right? Who got all the flack on Twitter. Um, so, I mean, even that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek rebuttal, I think, to the, the culture of nastiness that surrounds a lot of, you know, political talk or just, you know, kind of uh, cultural conversations in general. So that was that was awesome to hear. Um, anyway, so I, I think, you know, those types of speeches really have elevated the week and, and kind of brought the Democrats back together after that very kind of uh, tension-filled Saturday and, and Sunday morning, you know, of DNC yeah. leaks. And it, it seemed such a, I don't know, premeditated time to leak that stuff. Well, I think it, that's it, absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and Assange has pretty much said as much. Right. So it, now he's threatening with a new leak, and he's saying, I've got stuff that will certainly indict Hillary, which, you know, people like me and you who, who you know, love the political side of things are, are – <laughs> like what is what does he have? Is it Clinton Foundation stuff? Is it right the missing thirty thousand thirty three thousand emails uh, that that Donald Trump was asking Russia to to get for him today? Um, and that insane cacophony of a quote press event that that Trump had at his uh, estate in Doral. I mean that was did did you get to watch that by any chance? I know you're working, but I, I was working so I, I caught clips of it uh, a little bit later. Holy and crap. and obviously I saw Twitter like basically set itself on fire. I mean he he, he had a meltdown. I mean and he was calling Tim Kane Tim Keen. 
calling right and thought that senator he was like from the governor of new jersey new jersey it's <laughs> governor of virginia and and yeah. uh, you know and he called uh, at one point he randomly transitioned into uh john hinckley who shot ronald reagan who wasn't released today but he was put into a non-prison facility for mental illness no 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 the, no the judge right. said that he can go well okay but then he can go live with his mom okay all right but, but it's go, it's basically know, like house arrest right yeah, it's house arrest. Uh, and, and Hinckley, if you don't know, is the man who uh, attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Right, right. And, and Trump kept saying, David Hinckley. <laughs> well, like, what? Are, are you, are you okay, Donald? You know, like, if you're, if you're going to bring that up randomly in the middle of a press conference, like, at least get the detail right. Uh, but there were, there were a few of those little things where he would, you know, quote somebody and then he, he told a female reporter from NBC to be quiet. Katie Turr. Oh, and, she, and she's such a good reporter. Yes, but he yeah. was like, yeah, he just said, Katie, be quiet. And it's like, oh, that's, that's that's not good. That's not what you want to do there, Donald. No. Um, but it, maybe it is what he wants to do because I yeah, – Probably. You know. Yeah, there's probably a lot of guys that are thinking, yeah, you know, shut that woman up. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, let's – Make America great again. Well, and that's the thing. If you look at the the kind of polling afterwards, yes, Trump seems to have gotten a, a you know small convention bounce, not as he said one of the biggest in history. In fact, it's fairly mediocre compared to other convention bounces. Um, but this is Trump, right? Facts don't matter, right? So it's it's kind of like what's that show um, that used to be on? I don't know. Was it on? Oh, this is not good. I should have thought about this beforehand. But they would sing and they would have songs. It was um Lost. No. <laughs> West Wing. And the guy used to host it. <laughs> the guy that had his own TV show, the guy white guy with the glasses. Drew Carey. Uh, Drew Carey hosted it. Yes. His line you. is it anyway? There we go. Thank you. I don't know. I used to watch that all the time. I'm a big fan of who's. It was, it's a good show. That's, I mean, it's yeah. cool. Yeah. But but so what what sticks out to me is he would always say. You know, um, where the rules are made up and the points don't matter or whatever. Right. The points are, or whatever. It's something like that. And that's right. like, that's the Donald Trump campaign right now. That was really bad. I should have just left that little thought in my head and not ran with it. But yeah, it's okay. We'll, we'll edit that out in post. <laughs> right. But then, right. So then I saw him later. He was, um, in Scranton and he's talking about home something. Home of the office. He says, <laughs> yes. Home of the office. And he says, um, I just said it. I don't know why. I just said, and he said this like three times about some statement that he made about we're going to get the miners back to work. It's like that just perfectly encapsulates the Trump campaign. I just said it. I don't know why. <laughs> well, it, it, okay, if we're going to make pop pop cultural reference, to me it sounds like the Blues Traveler song uh, hook. And one of the yes. lines is, it doesn't matter what I say as long as I say it with inflection. Exactly. Yes. It, and that's exactly his strategy. Like it does not matter what he says. No, so I would I would encourage all of our uh, listeners to go and not listen to what Donald Trump says, but read transcripts of his press conferences or even of his stump speeches. Could, just I was just going to say, go, go read the transcript. <laughs> and it's amazing because you're like, what is wrong with this person? Right, he doesn't use verbs half the time. Right, I mean, it's just it's kind of amazing the way he talks and he jumps around, and it's not like. Where you've seen, you know, some great speakers, Bill Clinton is, it's like this, right? Where he can be on something and go away from it and then come right, come back to it in the same place. And, and it has this fantastic structure to it, right? Kind of like a bungee cord, so to speak. Yeah. Trump doesn't do that. He just, 
jumps from thing to thing to thing to thing, and that that's it. And I don't. I mean, it's well, and uh, Clinton has that that amazing almost preacher pastoral type thing where he can go into an illustration while he's trying to make a point and then come back to the point, and you're like, oh right. yeah, okay, now I see what he's doing. Whereas Trump just like to <laughs> press conference today was an hour and fifteen minutes of him saying like Obama's the most uh, uh, what did he say? Not stupid president ever, but the most uh, ignorant. Ignorant, ignorant, ignorant right. Said. Ignorant black guy, right? I mean, yeah. that's and his dealt. fear of the world, as he says, doesn't jive. Yeah, you're right, right, right. Not, doesn't that's jive, not right? Actually coded at all. Yeah, ignorant black guy doesn't jive. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and yes, I would love for the United States to have a woman president, but not her. She's disastrous, and just this sort of constantly throwing out these these blanket statements that don't mean anything, and it doesn't matter what he says. And, uh, you know, to me, the, the fascinating, saddening, maddening thing is that half of our electorate at this point, according to Gallup, like believes he's the best choice for our country to be president. Like, how do you square yeah. that? I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I get that Hillary's not the optimal choice for many Democrats or many people who are not Democrats. Totally understand that. And and part of me feels that way. And honestly, if they put up someone like Marco Rubio, I could see myself voting for Marco Rubio you know, or, or Jeb Bush. Um, I like both of those in theory. But the fact that the Republican Party has put up Donald Trump, of all people, you know, for the highest office in the land, and now he's going to start receiving uh, uh, intelligence briefings, and and he's in this position of, you know, yeah, he's not elected president, but there's a lot of power in what he's doing, and for the rest of his life, he will be a factor in American politics because he was on the ticket. I mean, Walter Mondale got slaughtered in 1984, but Walter Mondale was constantly a speaker at conventions. He was constantly a name in the Democratic circles until he died. Same thing is going to happen here. I mean, you know, and you can go back to the 60s and look at um, Goldwater. You know, people who, you know, we we thought, okay, well, you know, Mondale, Goldwater, these people will never get elected. But they were still big factors in the party until they passed away. And that's what's going to happen with Trump, regardless of what happens. I mean, unless he gets, you know, indicted of of treason or (laughs) which is basically what he kind of did today by asking Putin to it's, oh man okay so at the least it's encouraging espionage right at the very least that's what he did today is that um and I mean so it struck me right because and and if you don't know hopefully by the time you're listening to the show you have heard it it should be everywhere I mean this is insane but he said Russia you know if you're listening which Obviously, um, you know, hopefully you can find those missing 30,000 emails. You know, I think the press will, you know, reward you. Yeah, reward you greatly. Right. <laughs> All right. And so what he's asking is, is he's encouraging Russia to hack the either the accounts of like the State Department accounts of a former secretary of state. Or he's asking Russia to hack the personal accounts of a private citizen. It doesn't. Either way, it's espionage. It, it comes close, probably not by 
by the letter of the law to treason. But there's a lot of people asking that question, which is you would think not something a candidate for president wants to be asked. And then there is also the added. So it, it kind of seemed to me like, oh, well, what Trump is doing is communicating with Russia the way that campaigns communicate with their super PACs. Right. Like, I mean, it would be great if somebody, you know, started making this point about Hillary Clinton, which is because candidates and super PACs aren't supposed to collaborate, but we all know that they do. And one of the ways they do that is through the media. They'll make statements like that. But Trump just didn't even try to be coy about it. It was just completely overt, right? So what he did would have been illegal if Russia were a super PAC, right? And what he's asking them to do would be illegal if Russia were a super PAC. And so it's that much worse that he's asking a foreign power to do that. I don't know. It's just – it's mind-boggling, right? So it there is, was all this is. reporting about people in the intelligence community who are like legitimately shocked. And that's one of the things – I guess maybe thank you, Donald Trump, right? Because one of the things that's happened is that we have gotten less and less shocked by the just absolutely insane stuff coming out of his mouth. And then now this kind of maybe shocks us back into reality to say, no, this guy really is, I don't know. I, I don't know the right word for him, but certainly should not be the president of this country. Well, and, you know, I mean, look at 2012 when he made the statement that President Obama spoke for him after the Sandy Hook uh, killings, you know, 26 people, yeah. mostly children. Uh, and now if that happened – I think he would say something different. And that's he'd only congratulate f- himself for being right. And that's only four years ago. You know, or he would say, well, Sandy Hook's not Sandy Hook anymore. Just like he said, France is not France anymore. Right. You know, again, appealing to this. Things were much better back then when we didn't have a black president and we didn't have these crazy, uh, you know, feminists and then these uh, queer people and, and people using the bathrooms in Target who had penises. You know, like like this idea that he's reestablishing the former greatness of our country. Um, when just four years ago he was you know, basically talking about gun control and and he was you know pretty much pro Obama up to the point of uh you know his birth certificate I guess but I I, I find it perplexing that people want to vote for him from a certain perspective especially when you look at here in the South with you know religious conservative evangelical whatever people who get behind him because they don't want to vote for Hillary. And last night on, on Twitter, I mean, I had this back and forth with some random lady who was arguing point for point because I made some statement about uh, Clinton, I believe, Bill or Hillary. You know, and basically her argument was, well, I don't want to vote for Trump either, but, you know, Hillary is way worse because she's a liar and she's crooked. And then we have Trump <laughs> saying, please, foreign country, influence our election. And that's okay. And it, it, it rattles my mind to think that the party of Reagan, you know, like, I mean, if we could resurrect Ronald Reagan and put him in the, in the Lincoln Memorial, I think people would, you know, definitely come and, and bow at his feet. And the party of Reagan has been reduced to this. And it's, it's frustrating and it's weird and it's odd. But it, but it could very well happen that Trump becomes our president. Yeah, I mean, that's what Nate Silver's been saying the past few days, right? Is like, I think people don't realize how close it is. It's, it's very close. 
and it's only going to get worse. So I think I think there's going to be more leaks, um, just from the rumors and stuff I'm I'm seeing around. Like, I don't think uh, I don't think we've seen the last of of that type of stuff. And I think what we saw was kind of a a, a preview or kind of a, a a shot across the bow at the DNC, you know, and at the Democratic Party, saying, "Hey, we can do this to the Democratic Party. Imagine what we can do with Hillary Clinton because we have, you know, what we have." Right. And and I think. I think someone's influencing the election in a way that, um, you know, gives advantage to other countries. Right. And the other thing is, so we talked about this already, right, with the whole white nationalist stuff coming from Trump. At what point do you say this is no longer a coincidence, right? Things that look like, um, you know, subtle messages to white white supremacist or him retweeting white supremacist and the original Trump Pence logo that bore a striking resemblance to an earlier um, white nationalist groups logo and the way that he talks about anybody basically that's not a white man. Um, you have to be, you have to ask, okay, at what point do we say this isn't a coincidence? Maybe Trump's not actually that stupid. Maybe there's something here. I think the same thing comes with the relationship, and a lot of people are making these connections between Trump and Russia. And I don't have any idea that Trump is like in regular communication with Putin and that Putin is telling him, here are the things I want you to do. Um, but you do have to look at some of the things that have happened and some of the things that Trump has said. So, for instance, he starts talking about NATO and how, um, you know, well, basically, maybe we should pull out of NATO or the other countries need to pay their fair share. And if Russia invades Estonia, we might not come to their aid, even though you are required to as a member of NATO. And Estonia is one of the five countries that actually does pay their 2% GDP into NATO. Um, so he's already saying, kind of signaling to Putin that, yeah, if you want to expand your territory when I'm president, we probably won't do anything about it. He gets asked today about, well, um, would you consider changing the stance, the U.S. stance toward Crimea, uh, which is a really contentious uh, thing that's going on, um, and it's this area that Russia wants to claim, and uh, the U.S. does not recognize that as Russia. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's something that we would that we would look at. Okay, well then you look at the platform fight that happened at the RNC, and they basically the Trump campaign didn't care at all about the platform. It was kind of amazing um, how little the Trump campaign tried to influence the platform, which is just doesn't happen. I mean, presidential candidates, the nominees from each party do all that they can to to um, influence the platform so that it's closer to them, right? And the only thing that they that the Trump campaign exerted any influence over and any desire to change was uh, statements toward Ukraine. And if you remember a few years ago, all that's gone on with Ukraine and with Russia's claim of Ukraine as their territory and things like that as well. You begin to put all this together and you begin to say, well, what the hell is going on here? Right. So yeah. maybe maybe Trump is not this just kind of stupid, willfully ignorant narcissist. 
maybe there actually is something more going on. I don't know that there is. Like I said, I don't think that, that Trump and Putin are having regular conversations or anything to that effect. There are, there are connections between his campaign manager and some people that are very close to Putin and I mean, people that Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, has worked for. Um, and you have you know members of the DNC, uh, aside from the main DNC hack, uh, at least one member from the DNC was researching some of these connections between Manafort and some of these uh, Russian oligarchs, and her personal email uh, was attempted to be hacked by a state sponsor, right? Which is a you know a foreign entity, a, you know a foreign government. This is what her email provider Yahoo told her. Like this is not her just coming up with a, oh there's a state actor you know trying to hack my email. This is completely unprovoked. This is what Yahoo is saying based on you know, the fingerprints and the hacking. And so you have to ask it at some point, what's going on here, right? It's a man that he obviously admires, he said, on a couple of occasions. Right, right. <sighs> yeah, and, and, you know, it, it's that blending of, of the lines of, of his rhetoric in reality. And, okay, you know, he wants to be boisterous and, and this kind of, um, you know, loudmouth, basically. And, and, you know, we laugh at it and we think it's funny. And then when you think about the implications of, okay, his son said in a speech in 2009 that they're getting a, a lot of money from Russia, you know, into their bank accounts. And he moved the uh, his pageant thing over to Moscow. And he talked about being in a big room and a meeting with all the oligarchs and, and Putin, even though today he said, I don't know Putin. I don't know who he is. I've never met him. <laughs> when well, he also talked about getting to know him because they were essentially in a green room together for 60 minutes. Right, right. Like and he's he talking says, about, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I don't know who that is. Um, but like, and then he said, Someone asked him about his emails or something. He said, "Well, I'm not a, I'm not a big, I don't, I don't believe in email. I'm not a big believer in email." Which, you know, as I, as I was joking with our uh, friend of, friend of the show, um, you know, on, on Twitter, like W. Travis uh, McMakin, McMacken. I'm probably butchering your name. I'm sorry. I'm not good with names. Ask other friends of the show. <laughs> of the show. <laughs> we won't come on the show because I butchered her name. Um, Anyway, like like just the epistemological side of that, of, of I don't believe in this. Like, do you not believe in email? Because email certainly exists, you know. <laughs> but but right. I understand it's a you know turn of phrase, but still, to to hear someone who wants to be a president in 2016 saying they don't use email, to me is like infuriating. Well, so and you know, like okay, he obviously watches a lot of cable news. Like, yeah, obviously, I think we cannot. Yeah. I do not think it's possible to overestimate how much cable news this man watches. Okay. Um, so there's that. But what's also kind of amazing is you, we picked up in various pictures that he's posted before that he doesn't like apparently read stuff on the internet. He has staff print stories off, like print internet stories off and hand it to him on paper so that he can read it. I mean, it's just, right. It's, right. It is, which amazing. leads to him like doing things like a you know retweeting white supremacist, right. and I, I guess that was my point. Like he has no problem with email, but I mean he has a problem with email, but he has no problem with 
freaking Twitter. Right. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, if you're going to pick Twitter or email, like, please go with email. It's, it's much, much more, uh, sane to, to make that choice. Today, just now, actually, about an hour ago, well, 37 minutes ago, he did a, an AMA on Reddit and asked me anything. Right. <laughs> and I, I like, I like Reddit. I'm a big Reddit fan. I've been on Reddit since 2004. Um, I, I, I love Reddit and it, it, to me, it's like Twitter. Like it's kind of a news feed for for me, um, and I'm involved in a number of cool little sub communities and subreddits, and, and big fan. So when I saw that he was going to be on an AMA, I thought, oh gosh, this is going to be awesome. So I just flipped over and uh, linked down in the show notes. He answered seven questions, and then he was like, "All right, off to a rally," <laughs> which you you've got if you're going to involve yourself in these communities and do this type of stuff, like. Ugh, I don't know. Like Snoop Dogg, for instance, or Snoop Lion, whatever his name is now, he he did a very famous AMA a couple of years ago, and it went on for like eight months. And people would ask him questions, and he would pop, like, keep popping back in. Um, <laughs> and it, it was hilarious. And it's a fascinating AMA. Uh, but but the idea is, you know, you kind of bare your soul, and you give an hour, and you answer as many questions as you can. And and yeah, you know, there's trolls, but there's also really good. Uh, moderators and, and the AMA subreddits, but they did the, they did this one on the subreddit the Donald, which evidently says official campaign subreddit. No, is it or is it just like a fan subreddit? I, think, I don't know. It seems like official Trump Pence. Let's make America great again. Like nice CSS. Huh. Yeah. Policy positions, that kind of stuff. Um. But yeah, he answered seven questions, and he was like, "All right, I'm out." <laughs> and all of his questions, basically, like, uh, I mean, all of his answers kind of went along the lines of, "Let me find this one that I, I was reading earlier." Someone asked him, "Like, what are you going to do to uh, keep money out of politics?" And his response was, "We're going to beat Crooked Hillary." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what? What does that mean? <laughs> um, you know, I think space is great. America always excels at space uh, exploration. Let's let's keep that as part of our campaign to make America great again. Because someone asked, like, what are you going to do about NASA's budget? Yeah. Like, there, no substance. Just, I think that's great. Or, uh, what do you think uh, Hillary Clinton, and this is the other speaking point I've seen all day from people in Trump's corner. I would say conservatives, but they're not conservatives. Uh during your rapid fire Q and A this morning, <laughs> one nice way to say it, you mentioned uh, the hundreds of days it's been since Hillary's last press conference. What do you think are the reasons for Hillary uh, refusing to hold any press conferences for such a huge amount of time? You know, objection, Your Honor, leading the witness, and <laughs> Donald responds: Crooked Hillary Clinton will not do press conferences because she, you know she cannot explain her illegally deleted thirty three thousand emails or her disaster in Libya. Her disaster. Or her role pushing TPP, or her support for a 550 increase in Syrian refugees. Like she's addressed all. This. Right. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a Hillary supporter. But when you read this stuff, if if he's Gary Johnson and he's smoking pot and he's a Libertarian candidate, that's one thing. Yeah. But he's the freaking Republican candidate for president. Like, what are we thinking? What are we thinking? I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm trying not to be political because I. I'm I'm not I'm not a Hillaryite, you know. I'm not necessarily with her. 
but this is yeah, this is very true. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you know, like Sam's not making this up by any right. means. Right, right. So, and poor Martin O'Malley is speaking right now at the DNC, and he would have been a far better candidate. <clears throat> but <laughs> sorry, he's got he's got time though. Like I mean, he's no, he's done. He's like know. John Edwards. I mean, if if, if he runs Maybe. again. He's, but NC, I love John Edwards. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you know? But you were I, behind. You were behind Obama early, so you got that. Well, one. I, I told you my my story in 2007. Uh, I was on a plane out west to a client meeting in California on a JetBlue flight from New York, and uh, I had a John Edwards 2008 T-shirt on because I'd given a lot of money, and they sent me a T-shirt. And uh, I, I'm watching the little TV in the JetBlue. You know, back of the seat, and the news broke that oh, here's John Edwards' lover and their kid, <laughs> and you know his wife Elizabeth has cancer. I was just like, oh god! <laughs> so I literally went to the bathroom and flipped my t-shirt inside out because <laughs> I, I felt you know like oh my god, I'm walking around with a John Edwards t-shirt and people right. are gonna look at me like oh, who's that jerk? Uh, so yeah, when I got to the airport, I stopped in at the Brooks Brothers store and, and bought a, a proper men's shirt and put that on. But um. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so so there's something I want to talk about that is somewhat related to the convention stuff that we've been talking about. Um, but maybe it will let us just stop not knowing what to say because we're trying to make sense of something that cannot be made sense of in Donald Trump. Well, I was going to say, the best thing I think we could do on the show is do what Harry Potter did and call him he who shall not be named yeah. you know, and, and refer to Voldemort in that way because – we don't want to invoke the beast and we don't want to give him any more press. And that's what he thrives on. You know, it's like Kanye or, or T Swift or Kim Kardashian or Donald Trump. And it's all in that same ilk. And it's all, by the way, go, go read the book. Um, trust me, I'm lying. I'll put a link it down in the show notes to Amazon. Trust me, I'm lying. Um, I forgot the author. Fantastic book. Came out in 2013, but it's about how sites like BuzzFeed and, and, Yahoo News and Google News and those types of things, those algorithmic, you know, clickbaity type uh, news sites, um, how they make money and, and how you can easily spread a meme or just kind of spread a rumor or whatever using very simple techniques. And it, it's a fascinating yeah. book by a marketing person that knows, it, knows their stuff. So anyway, make your transition. I'll, I'll shut up. I don't have a transition. I'm just saying there's something else I want to talk about. That's my transition. Well, I was going to say, well, yeah. I mean, but that's as good of a transition. That's a, that's a better transition than we saw some of the, um, than we saw the first night of the DNC when Al Franken and Sarah Silverman were having to stretch. <laughs> we're having to stretch. We're having to stretch. And they're both media professionals. That had to right. be staged. That had to be staged. Maybe. All right. So but they were on Paul Simon, so maybe not. Ugh. Like a bridge. <laughs> Garfunkel sang that song. Yeah, I mean that's the joke, right? Like that was a right. Garfunkel song. That wasn't yeah. Paul Simon, right? Like why would Paul Simon get up? He's got a new album. It's amazing. It's a great album. Why would he get up there and sing a Garfunkel song? It'd be like were, Lennon getting up and singing a, a McCartney song. I guess they were trying to. I don't know. They could get him, and they but they wanted to unify because that was their whole first night was unity, right? So, they get Paul McCartney to come sing uh, "Let's Give Peace a Chance." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it would have been a lot better song, right? Uh, um, okay, so uh, on that note, I think it's fascinating that we're seeing a, a reversal of roles between people who voted for Republican candidates because they were religious. And I've had this argument with my spouse and my partner 
I've had this argument with friends because I have certain set of views that are, you know, religious in nature about certain set of issues. And Donald Trump, the Republican candidate, doesn't necessarily promote those views, whereas traditional Republican candidates did. Whereas the Democratic Party seems much, much more of a, a safe space, if you will, for having those types of religious views or, or you know, views based in, in certain types of, of I, I, I don't know, like it's almost as if the Democratic Party now is the safe space for being a person of faith and wanting to be involved in politics, whereas the Republican Party is a place where you're anti-social justice warriors and you're anti-Black Lives Matter and you're anti-this and you're anti-that and you're anti-that to the point where if you are a person of faith and you're looking to say like, hey, this influences my you know, voting or whatever, it feels like in the Republican side of things these days, you're kind of looked down on. And it feels like the early 20th century where the Democratic Party was the party where people of faith kind of expressed that, you know, that, that progressive idea of humanity. Not not progressive like Bernie Sanders, but progressive as in things are getting better and then World War World War One happened. Um, yeah, so I've, I've had a similar conversation with a number of people over the past few weeks as well, kind of watching all of this happen as, you know, we're thinking about uh, all the support that Voldemort is getting um, by people who will tell you or have told me for years that, you know, their single issue on which they vote is religion. And then you turn around and Voldemort is their candidate and 75% of people are, uh, 75% of evangelicals or more are saying that they're going to vote for him and that they support him, which I mean, he's getting a higher share than Mitt Romney got of evangelicals. Well, he was a Mormon. Right. I know he was a Mormon, so he wasn't really Christian and, or apparently, right. This is what, I mean, you and I know a lot of evangelicals like that. And so I know a couple and I've had a conversation with a handful of, um, you know, conservative Christians that would well, un- some of your best friends are, are evangelical Christians, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. Some of my best friends are evangelicals. Um, and yeah, I know some of them saying I can't do it, but they're clearly in the minority of other evangelicals. But so it's, it's interesting to watch the, as, as we're comparing conventions as we're wont to do, um, yeah, there were a lot of mentions of Jesus at the Republican National Convention, but it was more. I don't. I don't know Paula the best White. way to explain it. Do it. It was from Paula White and. Uh, well, I mean, and it, well, yeah, like some of the speakers are like, "Come on, like I'm not going to listen to you." But but then even some of the people that weren't big speak, you know, like these kind of uh, prosperity gospel type preachers and things like that, uh, or you know, weren't giving the invocation. Get a lot of speakers getting up that they were supposed to be just regular Americans talking about, well, you know, I succeeded in, I don't know, running MMA because I believe in Jesus or something. I don't know. Um, but it, it was odd because it, it, it most of the times that I heard someone at the RNC and I watched a lot of it invoke the name of Jesus, it seemed to be as a bludgeon. And nothing else, right? It seemed to be like, yeah, that's right. I said, Jesus, what are you going to do about it, Democrats, you little wusses? And, you know, Democrats are like, hey, that's cool. Like, we don't have a problem with Jesus. <laughs> like, you know, dark-skinned dude, um, 
thinks it's important to care, take care of poor people, wants to speak truth to power. We're cool with him. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, but so and yes, at the DNC, there's not been a whole lot of talk of people saying, you know, I've got this faith in Jesus Christ. Right. OK, that that's fine. But they do seem in, in a lot of ways to you know, their policies. And this is what a lot of liberal and progressive Christians will say. Right. Their policies line up with how they understand, you know, the Jesus movement, so to speak. And. I don't expect that Thursday night we're going to hear a lot about Hillary Clinton's faith, but I wish we would. And there's a fantastic. So I don't. So we may hear a little bit, but I just I just don't think we're going to. Um, I mean, she is trying to personalize herself, so maybe we will. But we know that she's not comfortable talking about herself, and I think even more so, she's not very comfortable talking about her faith. Right. But there's a there's a great piece in the New York Times. I mean, the most of it we've talked about this on the show before. Um, but we're going to link to it again. Most of it is just a quote from her answering, responding to a question that the lady had at the town hall. And when you read that, you realize this is someone who has internalized this. This is someone for whom faith matters. This is someone who takes her faith seriously and it influences her life in all of the ways that a lot of my evangelical friends talk about theirs. And I believe that their faith does too, right? That it matters to them that they've internalized it, that it influences their decisions, their political decisions, their economic decisions, etc. But when you read this and when you hear Hillary Clinton talk about her faith this way, you realize, OK, it means something to her. Right. And it, it's kind of striking to have that in contrast to the Republican nominee who talks about two Corinthians when, you know, walking into bars and stuff. Um and he said, well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go, you know, it's really personal. So I'm not going to tell you what my favorite Bible verse is. Like, <laughs> but here's one thing I know about evangelicals. <laughs> There's not a damn evangelical in this country that would say my, per, my favorite Bible verse is too personal. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay. <laughs> right. He's a baby Christian, Thomas. Right. He's a baby Christian. He's got baby hands. He's drinking milk and then he'll, he'll get to the solid food later, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's the Paul of, of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. But, but so, 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 no, I think you're, I think you're right that we are seeing something of a shift that's kind of amazing to watch because you still have the rhetoric coming out on the Republican side, right? Of, you know, we're the, we're the party of evangelicals and, you know, we're Jesus loving and we read the Bible and that's fine. I, I, I'm sure that you do. Um, but, <laughs> But they have this they have this nominee who is as starkly opposite of that as you could imagine, right? Right. And it, right. it's more stark to me because it would actually it would seem less stark to me for them to say, We nominated someone who is Jewish, or we nominated someone who is openly atheist, right? But no, you have someone who is very obviously and blatantly doesn't believe what you believe, but is completely willing to try to talk your language just to get you to vote for him. Yeah. Right. right. So he clearly is playing you. And, and like that's, that's the thing. Right. Right. And that's what I, I don't understand why people can support Voldemort when it's obvious that he's playing them when he says, oh, yeah, you know, I sleep with the Bible beside my bed and. You know, and my favorite Bible verse is this. And, you know, there's, nah, I love the Bible. There's lots of good stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's the most amazing book besides my book, Art of the Deal. 
Buy on Amazon at Amazon.com. And remember, cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> right, because that's in the Bible. Um, and, and there's a, a fascinating article in the Washington Post uh, entitled Republicans Have Seeded the Ground on Faith. And uh, this is – I lost my mouse. Uh, this is by uh, Michael Gerson. And link down in the show notes, go read it. But basically, he he kind of says the same thing that you're saying, Thomas, is by putting Trump up as the nominee, the Republicans are making a statement on the value of religious voters. And as things like the Pew Religious Landscape study that came out earlier this year have pointed out, like evangelical slash Protestant Christians in the United States are – waning in power you know it's not the 1960s anymore and i think you know maybe the republicans get that in terms of the party and they say okay well we don't need to focus on these southern white conservative evangelicals anymore and try to convince them to vote for us because um the the idea of of they're they're going to be in our side no matter what you know kind of the same charge that a lot of a lot of the times i hear republicans making about democrats in regards to Latinos or black people right. and saying, well, people of color have always voted for Democrats well, since the 60s because, you know, they, they give them their you know welfare and SNAP benefits. But you know what? They're just keeping you guys in prison and we're the real party that's going to give you liberation. So come over to the Republican side and vote Republican because we're going to give you a, a hand up, not a handout. You know, and that's that's the rhetoric rhetoric that you always hear um, from that from that crowd. But it's like all of a sudden. It's it's safer to maybe uh, be kind of in the Democratic umbrella as as a group or person of faith than it is in the Republican umbrella um, because of the candidate. And and like I said, if Trump doesn't win, or I'm sorry, if Baltimore doesn't win, you know, God bless him, whatever. But he's still going to be a major power, just like Baltimore is a major power in in uh, Hog, you know, Hogsworth, Hogsworth. Hogsmeade. Hogsmeade. Hogs, Hogs, uh, Hogsmeade uh, is like the Chilis. town. Hogsmeade. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Middle Earth, right? That's Middle Earth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, the, 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 the Shire. The Shire. Yeah, the Shire. Um, and this article says, but Trump's approach does leave Democrats with an opening on religion. Clinton's choice of Tim Kaine as her running mate is effective counter-programming, which I hadn't thought of. Republican senators I talked with describe Kaine as very bright, genuinely nice, and unfailingly courteous and positive, which is pretty awesome to have people across the aisle talk, right. you know, say that about you as a senator. But he is also defined as faith-oriented and a, quote, deeply spiritual guy. Kane is not only fluent in Spanish, he speaks the language of the Catholic social thought and the dialect of Pope Francis, meaning South American uh, Spanish. Right. And, and kind of this more welcoming, you know, 21st century type of Catholic church that, that Pope Francis is kind of brought right right so i i think tim kane making his kind of grand entrance into the national party tonight or well he's opening for obama but you know tomorrow night <laughs> right yeah he's the opening act for obama <laughs> which is you know strange but uh i i think that's going to be really fascinating to see how the united states responds to him the next couple of right. weeks and months because i do think we will hear about him about him being Catholic, about his Catholic faith, about his work as a missionary. I think we're going to hear about that. Definitely. That's the story. That's part of the story they want to tell about Tim Kaine. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, hell so, yeah. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, it, it is crazy. Now, the other thing I think is going to happen is if Trump ends up losing, then somehow you're going to have 75% of evangelicals saying that they never would have voted for him, right? Even though now you have 75% of evangelicals saying they would vote for Voldemort. Right. Um, but that's just what's going to happen, right? I mean, we know that that's how our, you know, our ability to write revisionist, revisionist history knows no bounds. Uh, hence, hence Voldemort. Exactly. So call me Ishmael. I mean, it's, it's the story of America. You know, we're, we're a country of reinvention, you know, we're a country of redemption, and people love that story here. And and you know, Moby Dick, you know, begins and ends with Ishmael floating on a on on a board in the middle of the ocean, and and he's no character, he's no person, he has no name, and that's why it's the great American story. And I know people hate Moby Dick, but screw you, it's a great book. I read it. <laughs> um, not screw you, but you know. So the the idea of Trump kind of being the great white whale here. Or Voldemort being the great white well and all of us trying to spear him is less important, I think, than how that story is going to get told by Ishmael. Well, I do think that we are due for a shifting of um, political alliances, right? And I think we're due for a, sh- a shakeup in the Electoral College as well. This is the this is the most stable period, the longest stable period we've had uh, in a really long time in the Electoral College. And so I, I think we're due for a shakeup there. I think we're going to see that this November. I think there are going to be red states turn blue. There may be some blue states turn red, but I think mostly we're going to be seeing red states turn blue, right? Utah is in play. Georgia is in play, right? This is crazy. North Carolina is, again, is back in play, right? We know what Obama did, but they've been very reactionary there in North Carolina and made it rather yeah. red again. But so yeah. so I think we're going to see that, but I think we're all, we're also due for um a shift in political alliances where right, a lot of black people are saying, "Hey, Democratic Party, you can't take me for granted. Like you have to actually speak to me." Um and the Democratic Party has taken them has taken a lot of black voters for granted uh for a long time and I think the same is true with Latino voters, that you can't take them for granted. Just because Trump is saying absolutely outrageous things uh, doesn't mean that you can take Latino voters for granted. You have to actually um, speak to them. And and so we could see some of that shifting away. Um, and as we see that shift, I think we will see a shift where uh, religious voters, more of them are kind of shifting back to the Democrats. Um, I, what I know is that both sets of my grandparents were Democrats. Both sets of my grandparents were also really conservative Southern Baptists. But they were Democrats because as good Christians, you were Democrats in their day and right. age, right? right? And then we saw that flip, which a lot of people now just can't imagine ever happened, right? That it ever used to be like that. They're too young to kind of recognize how that has happened. Um, so we saw that flip. So now for a long time, it's been, oh, well, Christian equals Republican. And also, by the way, in the national narrative, Christian equals conservative evangelical, which is also not necessarily true for the whole country. But so I, I yeah, I think this is we're not going to see this happen this week completely and maybe not even completely before November. But I think over the next couple of years, this is the shift we're going to see. Particularly if you keep, if the Republican Party keeps putting up people like Voldemort or even like Ted Cruz, right? I, I just think that 
that we are at a day and age across our uh, society where authenticity has become very, very important. And even when people are being authentic, if they think, if the crowd thinks you're not, right? So Hillary Clinton can't talk about being a grandmother a lot. She does a little bit, but people think she's being inauthentic because they think she's trying to, you know, win them over or sway them or spin them. Um, I think we're going to see some of that reaction to the overt, you know, I'm going to mention Jesus Christ as kind of a bludgeon uh, or I'm going to talk about Jesus because I know it's the thing I'm supposed to do when I'm at CPAC. I think we're going to, a lot of people are getting tired of that and they're kind of beginning to see through it and say, okay, that's fine. But like, I care about more things than just the fact that you said, you know, you love Jesus or something like that. And by the way, I know that you're just trying to get me to vote for you. Amen. I don't know. Wrap it up. That's good. But before you do, and we want to keep this evergreen, don't we? Yeah. Okay. We won't mention the uh, new WikiLeaks thing that that's just hitting right now. We'll talk about that next week. Voicemails. But you voicemails. know where you can find talk about that. <clears throat> we're we're gonna Thomas. So if I wanted to, if I wanted to talk to you about the WikiLeaks voicemails that just leaked right before President Obama comes on to speak tonight to the Democratic National Convention. Right. Where would I where would uh, I go to hear follow that? us on Twitter because we are talking about that and all kinds of other things there too. So follow all, all the other Thomas things, Twitter. lots of the things. I'm sorry. All the things we are talking about. All the things on Twitter. I love you, Thomas. Uh, follow me at Thomas Whitley. Follow Sam at Sam Harrelson. And as always, you can find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm. Yay, that was good. All right, that was good. Whoa, that was that was a hell of a ending you did there. That was great. Thanks. I, I had nothing to say. I mean, that was you nailed it. Uh, you know, every once in a while, get one of those.